going to just kind of run across some things today uh, that's more theological than anything, right? I want to leave you with something, impart something in you, give you some tidbits, because there's some people, I promise you, they don't know what they think they know. I had a call from a lady uh, from California recently who said that she watches me uh, regularly online, and um, she had a question for me about theology. And then um, she didn't know about life after death. Raised in a good Christian home, attending a good Christian church. And so I said to her, it's like this, where do you go when you die? She says, what do you mean? I said, where do you go when you die? She said, uh, what do you mean? To the morgue. I said, no, where do you go when you die? She said, uh, the funeral home? I said, no, where do you go when you die? She said, the grave. I said, where do you go when you die? Where do you spend eternity? She said, I don't know. I said, where does God live? She says, I don't know. She says, in my heart? I said, God, God, creator God, lives in your heart. <laughs> You're the only heart that God lives in. She said, no, wait. I think he lives in everybody's heart. But here's a lady, faithful in ministry and in church services and grew up in a Christian family who knew nothing about heaven or hell, who knew nothing about eternity, who knew nothing about life in the hereafter, would sit just like some of you sit, but only caught up in the event, in the moment, in speakers, in, 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 in messages, but never able to link them together to where not only do you understand the message, but also the message so impacts you that it causes you to live differently and it causes you to live out the creed of the message that you heard. How many know that we need to walk it as well as talk it? I'm going to be okay. Um, I need about 10 of you over here though to say amen. You have to live this thing. So I'm going to read some verses and then I'm going to share with you. Thank you, my friend. For 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires or lusts, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That is the word of the Lord. Let the church say, Amen. There are a lot of people who think that theology is a dirty word. Theology simply means the study of God. If we don't know him, we can't successfully live for him. I enjoyed Thomas' session this morning, uh, getting to know him and having intimacy with him. Jesus calls us to himself. You know, the victory that the disciples had in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, the worst verse in all the Bible, John 6, 6, 6. In that verse, they said that they turned to never follow him again. That Jesus began to teach some things and say some things that were hard for them to understand. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they turned away from him. But those, the Bible said, who he had called to himself, that had intimacy with him, he looked at them and he says, are you leaving also? And they said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
In other words, we've been with you. John had laid his head on his breast. They knew what Jesus was like. They felt his heart beat. They had seen him have compassion on many and on the masses. And they had seen him heal and deliver. And they knew that that life was greater than any life they can have. Life apart from him would have been miserable. Where could they go? And so many people who come into the kingdom, they come into the kingdom thinking that it's all about them. That God wants them to be successful and prosperous. That God wants them, independent of anybody else around them, to live their best life now. But there's no way you can live your best life now without intimacy and a personal relationship and without knowing God. I'm not here to excite you. I'm here to educate you because some of you need Jesus now. You need to know him for they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. We get excited about that. But when you are close to God, when you are bearing your cross daily, there are some places you can't go. And there are some things you can't do. And so we need to learn that. Theology is not a dirty word. There are a couple of theological terms that I'm going to help you understand today and it will help us in our plight to be the people of God they're on the screen those two words are orthodoxy and orthopraxy say that orthodoxy and orthopraxy orthodoxy is correctness in teaching and we've been hearing that the importance of the word of God and knowing the word of God orthopraxy is correctness in living It is our conduct. We need good teaching and good living. Amen. So according to the scriptures, there's a time that is prophesied to come that we are living in right now. Second Timothy chapter four, first part of verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word doctrine there is teaching. How many of y'all believe that the time has come where people will not endure sound teaching? People love to be excited. They love good preaching. But when it comes to the teaching of the word, when it comes to didactics, sitting down and and hearing what what the Lord would say to you and, and learning and then applying it, it's a difficult task for so many people. I don't think anybody would disagree that there's more deception in the world right now than ever before. I believe this to be true and I know it to be true because it is biblical. There's something that the apostle John calls the spirit of error. In John, 1 John 4, 6, here's what it says. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's a spirit of error that the Bible says would come in the last days. One translation, listen to this, calls it the spirit of deception. 
And what we don't understand, I think many of us, as we view our tele-evangelists and as we go to huge crusades and as people are demonstrating lying signs and wonders in so many areas of the country and countries and continents everywhere, that the Bible gives us to know that there will be mass deception. It's a spirit of deception. It's a spirit of error. There are many voices, Paul said, in the world, and none of them are insignificant. All of them mean something to somebody. And people who are not discerning, people who are not rooted and grounded in the truth, in the faith, people who don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can be deceived. It should be of no surprise to anybody the magnitude of deception. I said uh, mass deception because Jesus was asked about the signs of the last days. And listen to what he says in Matthew 24, 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Listen, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, the anointed one, and will deceive many. That's a good place to say, man. I taught you over the years that when you hear scripture read or when you hear the truth spoken, you I heard it the other night. I think Pastor Ted said it. You accentuate it with an amen. You say amen when you hear the truth. It helps the teacher know without being able to see you clearly that you are receiving and that you affirm that that is true. Now, if you don't believe that there's a spirit of deception and if you don't believe that there's a spirit of error and if you don't believe that many are being deceived then you cannot say amen so that's why I'm here to tell you that it is just like the scripture says these are the last days and there's mass deception everywhere there's a spirit of deception in the world spirit of error for there shall arise Christ, the verse 11 of Matthew 24 says, and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, even the very elect would be the same. Paul says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, that in the last times, Shem shall depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They'll be speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Perilous times shall come. And that's what the Bible says. So Paul talked about false apostles and false prophets and false teachers. Peter talked about many of them shall arrive. James warned concerning them. John warned and Jude warned and Jesus warned us about deception. They all agree that there will be many, many, many false teachings, false teachers, false prophets in the last days. But if you talk to people today, many people that I know can't name one. I had a meeting with a group of pastors on several occasions. I would say, okay, pull out your pen and pencil, and I want you to write down a name of false apostles or false prophets that you know personally. Just you watch them, even if you've seen them on television and you know they're false, just write down, let's just say three names. Nobody wrote anything. Nobody, I, wait, wait, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God said there'll be many, if, if Peter, James, John said there'll be many and you don't know any, <laughs> something's wrong there. You know what the problem is? 
If you're a fan of someone, you could never become their critic. If you are a fan of someone, you will not criticize them. Uh, being uh, at my own church in the U.S. and uh, being with Pastor Tom this week, I, I'm emboldened in my teaching on the age of the pastor. And God's given me a message uh, on the age of the pastor and, uh, and, and a sound local church. Uh, I'm sharing with apostolic leaders around the world that this is the hour of the local church. I believe that this is the hour of the local church pastor-sheep connection, shepherd-sheep connection. Jeremiah prophesied it years ago, Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. In a spirit, in a world full of the spirit of deception and the spirit of error, God says, I'm going to give you pastors who are going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. If you believe that God has given us a pastor and pastors that feed up with knowledge and understanding, let's take a praise break for a moment and give God some praise for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm a national keynote speaker for the International Coalition of Apostles and Prophets. Uh, John Kelly, Mike Bickle, Michael Brown, and all those guys. And this year, I'm the keynote speaker in Dallas, Texas this year, at the Dallas International Airport Hotel there. And um, I spoke to them last year, and they want me to come and continue on the teaching of the importance of a strong local church and local church leaders. I spoke to them about the significance of having tenured, time-tested local church shepherds. I shared with them how God gave us pastors to protect the flock against prophets. Now, I'm speaking at the International Coalition of Apostles and Prophets. And I said to them, the church is scared of you, that some of you are reckless, some of you have no accountability, some of you are fly in, fly out, blow in, blow up, and blow out. Some of you, you say things you're not held accountable for, you're not subject to other uh, leadership in, in the body of Christ, and, and we're supposed to just affirm you. And I told them, no, the church of Jesus Christ and the local church pastor has been positioned to check y'all out and to make you accountable. Now, now listen, I said that to them, and John Kelly said, my God, that's good, and he's the leader. I'm talking to the apostles and prophets, the leading in the world, all continents represented, hundreds, hundreds there. And I'm like, wow. And he looked around at everybody, and he says, and none of you are apostles or prophets anymore. <laughs> because I read to him Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. What the Bible says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. I said, you know, some of the pastors of Ephesus, John, 
Paul, you know, Timothy, some of the people that actually preached and actually led that church, people who were sound in the faith and people who had a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Paul, one born out of due season, who was given instruction by Jesus himself and met him on the Damascus Road. He, he says, these are the pastors of this church and all of these people that come by with these lying signs and wonders come by talking about God sent them, which all apostle means one sent by God. They were tested by a Bible-believing, pastor-led, strong local church. And he says, I commend you because you tried them tested them and found them to be liars and wouldn't let them preach at action conference i'm preaching better than y'all <laughs> in, in in corinthian the scripture declares that satan manifests transforms into an apostle of light or angel of light second corinthians eleven fourteen says and no wonder for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. And again, the church said, amen. These, these truths are hard to, to gravitate to, especially if you're a fan of somebody who's masquerading as a minister of righteousness. And, and these people who are falling, and, and I thought that was a good illustration that Pastor Tom gave the other night concerning Ed Savoso and his ride in prayer, where he says you can look at the people on TV who are falling, who have to pretend to be something, have to put their best foot forward. Well, a local pastor doesn't have that luxury because they come out every day before you. They walk amongst you. They smell like the sheep without sleeping with them. And so what happens is you're able to monitor their behavior, see them, look at their families, watch how they grow, watch how they go through. And can I help you with something? A pastor and a pastor's family, it's not before you to show perfection. They're before you to be an example to you that they can go through the same things you go through and still maintain their family values and their commitment to each other. Come on, talk to me here. We're not to be perfect, never argue, never fuss, never have fights, never have issues. Children never go astray. Things never happen. But we're before you to show you that we can have the same conflicts you have and you can follow our faith and see how our conduct panned out when we got in trouble. You can see that God is here to keep us. My wife and I have been married 44 years, right? 40 Four years. I've never slammed the door in my house. I've never lifted my, I never had a toe-to-toe argument with my wife. I've never had to go for a drive. That's just me, right? And I tell people all the time, I said, well, we don't fight. And I was on the 700 Club. Pat Robinson asked me, he says, Bishop, you have to explain this because the audience is calling in wanting to know how does that happen? And then two people want to know, explain fight. <laughs> I, and I, and I, I thought about it for a minute and I said, you know what, Pat? I said this on national television. My wife will not use a credit card and she hates shopping. What's there to fight about? <laughs> the fivefold ministry gifts of Ephesians 4 uh, say that 
people can be tossed to and fro, keep me on time, by every wind of doctrine, by the sly of men, right? So when people say, watch this, that they're blown away by some new doctrine that they've heard. Ooh, have you heard this preacher? Man, I was blown away. That's what the text says, by every wind of doctrine. You just blown away, <laughs> tossed to and fro, just blown away. And what happens is so many people pick up now, especially during COVID, they've been able to go on YouTube and Facebook and find their favorite preacher now. And then now they want to see what they see on YouTube happen in their local church. And now they're comparing their pastors who are there to feed them and to lead them and guide them with people they know nothing about. Come on, people who could be masquerading as ministers of righteousness, people who are putting their best foot forward, but you don't know how the other foot and how nasty the other foot is when you have somebody before you every day that you can see and model their faith. As a matter of fact, um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, remember those who rule over you and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Follow the faith of your leader. So look at uh, how God has, has blessed them. True preachers that are sent from God are given a charge from the scriptures in two major areas of life. Orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Say that. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right belief and right living. Right belief. Uh, be sound. And, and, and preachers, pastors need to be sound in their preaching and teaching. I told pastor uh, a little while ago, we were talking about uh, ministry and we just talked about sound doctrine and people being balanced and a pastor needs to be balanced. A pastor doesn't need to be dictatorial uh, and dictatorial or authoritarian in the sense that they're not flexible to receive from others and to hear from others. So Tom and I will often uh, come up with uh, what the latest trend is or a doctrinal thing and call each other, talk to each other, throw it off. And I listen to him. I've expanded, I've grown because I'm limited. I'm limited in certain areas and I need to be expanded. And, and when you have the same burden for people and you care for the flock of God, then you want to hear others who have a burden for the people and care for the flock of God. What did you do here? What do you say about that? What do you believe the Bible teaches about that? I had this manifestation in my church and amongst people in the church. What happens here? How do you handle that? We need that. Say we need that. So you need right belief. We need to be sound. And the pastor's charge also, and this is the scary part, to be something before they can do something. You got these fly-by-night mama-made bishops and apostles and preachers, 19-year-old apostles and 21-year-old bishops and folk running around here with a ring and a chain, a, a, a collar and a holler, you know, and some were called, some were sent, some just picked up their briefcase and went. I mean, it's just horrible out here, right? So a pastor is charged to be something. That's right living, right? First Timothy talks about uh, three things. One, spiritual. Two, domestic. And three, moral. That a, a pastor has to meet the spiritual requirements, needs to be mature, apt to teach, all those things. Put it back on the screen. And then number two, they need to meet the domestic qualification. Be the husband of one wife, rule their house well. And then number three, morally, be above reproach in and out of the church. 
These are prerequisites. These are qualifications that spiritual leaders need to have. So if you're an aspiring spiritual leader out there, you're an aspiring pastor, or you're a pastor and you're having uh, all kinds of problems and, and issues, did you meet these qualifications prior to being set in the office of a pastor and being a, a leader or set as a leader over people? They are spiritual domestic and moral qualifications that must first be met. And when those qualifications are met and we're responsible of examining people for examining people and putting them in office, so when something happens down the road, because they qualified, then we come and restore them. But sometimes people are exposed because they didn't meet these qualifications beforehand and it's proven once they attempt to be pastors. Let me keep going. That is so good to me. I felt that quickened right down in my spirit. Now I've got to tell you that Jesus is our perfect example, not the pastor, right? Jesus is the perfect example, not the pastor, right? He is an example, but Jesus is the perfect example. Listen to these two statements and you tell me what you feel about them. Statement number one. If Jesus preached the same message that we're preaching today, he would never have been crucified. This watered-down gospel and this message, this non-confrontational, non-judgmental, non-criticizing messages that we are espousing today, this make it and, and, and you're going to be blessed and, and, you know, have a good time message that we're preaching today. If Jesus would have come with that message, he would never have been crucified. Okay, let me keep going. Next thing. Next point. Next, next one, please. If Jesus lived the kind of life that we're living today, he would never have been crucified. Does this make sense to you? I mean, I'm trying to show you right belief and right living. So our preaching and teaching and our lifestyle should resemble the preaching, teaching, and lifestyle of Jesus Christ. If it does, it will bring persecution. But he is there for you in your time of trouble. We're called to serve God's heritage and not to lord over God's heritage. Here's something novel. Jesus is our model for serving and leading. Isn't that special? Paul said that he's, he came and was in the likeness or equal to God and emptied himself and became a servant and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul the Bible says, knew Jesus, met him. But then later on, when he's incarcerated, he's in Philippi, he says, you know what? I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. He's got my back, you know. But he says something really peculiar. He says that I might know him. Now, now he knows him, but then he says that I might know him. Because knowing him is a continual process. It is a continual learning People have said, uh, theologians, that throughout the eons of time and eternity, well, nearly no time, but after our existence in eternity with God, that we'll constantly be coming to know him and be able to engage. And then the Bible said we'll be known even as we're known, and that's when we see him, and then there'll be more to be known when we're with him forever. But Paul is walking with him, talking with him, being incarcerated because of him, and says, boy, that I might know him. Come on, I know I need some people out here that still want to know him, know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Not just the power of his resurrection. 
Because when you live for him, if any man shall live godly in Christ Jesus, he shall suffer persecution. Right? So persecution comes with Christ. So no cross, no crown, right? No suffering, no victory. So there are things that are requisite to being a child of God. There are things that mark the believer, and this is our lifestyle. So let me hit them real quick. There are seven things that are requisite to being a child of God. These are things that you now get to do now that you're saved. Prayer, praise, worship, fellowship, studying the word, witnessing, soul winning, giving. These are not optional. I want you to look at this and make a list of this. Are these things dominating, prominent, prevalent, existing in your life? If they are not, you are a very disobedient and unlearned believer if you are a believer at all. Every child of God should be engaged in prayer, in praise, in worship, in fellowship, in the word, in witnessing, in soul winning, and yes, in giving. Can I get about 10 people to say amen? amen. These are requisite. This is who you are. You have a privilege to do this now because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is orthopraxy. How we should live as believers. Let me hurry because I got to close. Because we also need to be sound doctrinally. That's orthodoxy in what we believe. Here's sound doctrine. A definition. Sound doctrine is immutable truth that make a difference as to where we spend eternity. So when I'm talking about doctrine, sound doctrine, I'm also, listen carefully, please. I'm talking about essential doctrine. There are doctrines that are essential right? Majoring on essential doctrine is important. What we believe doctrinally determines whether we can hang out with each other. Put this statement on the screen. Read it with me. The next statement, please. Read it. Who we believe in brings us together. What we believe in keeps us together. Did, did you get that? Who we have believed in has gathered us here this week. What we believe in and what we teach and preach will keep us together. You want to divide it asunder? You want to be able to separate the masses and the people out here? Let different beliefs start floating around in this room. Let people have different theological concepts about the main things. Let people, that's why pastors in your local churches, teach your new members classes or teach somebody who teaches what you believe and what your church doctrine holds to be true in your classes. Don't just accept people into the church that came from the church of the high steeple, few people, the church of us four and no more, and come in from a church where they ice skated to their pews and you can hang a side of beef and it'll keep for six months. Don't bring them into your church and they say they're apostles and evangelists and prophets and you just welcome them in and say, join our ministry and don't check what they believe don't check where they come from don't check their doctrine don't check their convictions and don't check their lifestyles in our church we bring them in we send them through a new members concept and in that new members concept after you have gone through these classes now you know who we are and what we believe now do you still want to be a member here because you cannot bring those other doctrines, especially non-essential doctrines, into our midst and cause confusion in our churches. 
uh, in this fellowship, in the celebration churches, what Pastor Tom espouses, what he preaches, what he teaches, should be uh, genesis, should be uh, a part of everybody's belief system, and everybody should be in agreement. Here's what Paul said: I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you all speak the same thing, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, so that there be no divisions among you. While some say I'm a Paul and I'm a Cephas or Peter and I. I'm of Apollos. He says, who are these people? They're just ministers by whom you believe. But he says this, there's, there's one, one, one waters, one plants, one water, but God is the one who gives the increase and God is the one who gives the message and the message is God's message and the word is God's word and we need to learn to rightly divide it and we need to speak the same thing. I'm going to preach myself happy here. So here's some non-essential doctrines. Put them up on the screen. These things, how loud should the music be? People have come to visit celebration and say, I'm getting out of here. My nerve's bad. All right. Number two, should we allow spiritual gifts to operate in the church? Number three, should women preach? Number four, these are non-essential. What day should we meet? Number five, how about playing cards, dancing, makeup, dresses, no dresses, long hair on men. Number six, what time should we meet? What day should we meet? These are non-essential things. What I'm talking about are the essential things. What I'm talking about in my last 10 minutes are things that make a difference, right? We want to make sure that there are doctrines that we believe that are essential to the Christian faith and we believe them alike. I heard Pastor Asa throw one out there in the middle of his message, right at the end of his message, he said, we believe that Jesus is God. Now, he said that in the collective audience of people and put it out there because to be a true Christian, you got to believe that. All right? So let me give you these five doctrines. Number one, the deity of Jesus Christ. Say that, the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. Tommy said it, Emmanuel. The presence of God with us. First John 4, 2 says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. When someone denies that Jesus came in the flesh or that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, that is the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of error and the spirit spirit of deception. We believe that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. Number two, salvation by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're not saved by works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. That is not to get salvation that is because of your salvation no works prove that maybe you're not a child of God because if you are a child of God there'll be fruit to prove that you are there will be effort there will be work there'll be things that you'll do he has created us to do those type of good works so the God of glory we look forward to his return he has created us a people under good works and so we need to understand that but we don't work to be saved religion is man's attempt to be right with God but true Christianity is man accepting what God has done to make us right with himself somebody say amen, amen. number three the resurrection of Jesus Christ say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
Listen, I came all the way from the United States to be here, and there's a large gathering of people, and people will be here tonight, tomorrow, Sunday. But listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Yeah, if he's not risen, then our preaching is vain. It's, it's a waste of time. If Jesus is not alive, glory be to God. I believe he lives. Ask me how I know he lives. He lives on the inside of me. And I'm willing to die for that. I'm willing to stand for that. This is my, press, my message. I don't know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, and raised again from the dead. Number four, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, we've heard that this week, right? The good news, Galatians 1.8, for we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached unto you, let them be accursed or anathema. You can't tamper with the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. Glory be to God unto salvation. I heard an old, old story about a Savior came from glory. And somebody here remembers that old hymn. But remember, one day you were lost and you didn't know where you were going and didn't know how to get there and you heard a story good news the battle is over the victory has been won come on over into the camp of the Lord come on in the battle's over Christ paid it all that's the good news number five monotheism the Shema the Shema says in Deuteronomy 6 4 hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one one monotheism means one God. There's only one God, not three. We believe in the Trinity. Glory be to God. I've heard it mentioned several times this week, right? The three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Nobody argues that the Father is God. He's God the Father all by himself. Nobody can argue that Jesus is God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Come on, the same was in the beginning with God. That Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Great is the mystery of God in this 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifested in the flesh. Glory be to God. Now, we don't argue with that, right? Uh-huh. Then the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says, for the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. But I thought Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And I thought Paul said, if we confess of our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. Well, yeah, the Father raised him, the Son raised himself and the Holy Spirit raised him. These three are one. Try to figure it out. I can't think of no better way than to tell it to you like that. And then lastly, the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. The cross, Jesus is the only way to salvation and it's through the cross. 
1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You better get excited. It is the power of God. On that cross, he nailed our sins and the wrongs that we had done and the things that were done against us. On that cross, Tommy told us that the blood was shed for the healing of the nations to heal our sin-sick souls that Christ bore our sins on that tree. He's the expiation. He took away our sins. He's the propitiation. He took the punishment for our sins. Jesus Christ died in our stead. He's the penal substitutionary sacrifice. Come on theologians. He is God who shed his own blood for us, reconciling us, making us at one meant with the Father. He is the atonement. He is our high priest. He ever lives even now to make intercession for us. You believe these things. You hold on to these truths. You earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. What is the faith? The whole gamut of the essential doctrines of God. Those things that make us who we are today. Children of God. And how should we live this thing out? Through prayer, praise, worship, fellowship, a study of the word, witnessing, soul winning, and your giving. And if you are truly a child of God, then you ought to believe right and you ought to live right. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't believe right, you can't live right. I'm telling you right now, if you got saved wrong, you can't live right. I'm telling you right now, you need to have both of these things, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And if you believe that, put your hands together and give God some praise and may heaven smile on you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.